This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Daniel Howitt's interviews with the cinematographer for the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, Robert Yeaman, and short film's costume designer, Kaisha Walika Maimon. Good evening, Mr. Sugar. Said the man behind the desk whose job it was to never forget a face. Henry Sugar was 41 years old, unmarried and rich. Strange. The following is what Henry read in the Little Blue Exercise book. Gentlemen, I'm a man who can see without using his eyes. He saw it, I cried. He saw that trolley. This is absolutely unbelievable. I was flabbergasted. Robert, thank you so much for, for taking time to chat with me about the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. I'm always thrilled to see what you and Wes cook up. Uh, so, so I'm glad we got the chance to talk today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, Henry Sugar has such a distinct look, even for a Wes Anderson film. It, it's, it's very different. Where did you get started when you came onto this project? Where, where do you and Wes, where, what's the beginning of your collaboration? Well, you know, it's obviously it's a script, you know, and he sends me the script. And then Wes, uh, you know, in the last few movies, he makes it animatic, which is like a little cartoon. And that's kind of an ongoing process. But, uh, you know, by the time he's, we start prepping the movie, it, it's a it's a guide for everyone, the art department and the camera department in particular, uh, you know, in terms of because so much of it was, I mean, the whole thing was built on a stage, you know, and so uh, the art department has to know what it is he's going to want to be seeing. So that's how it starts with a lot of uh, uh, art department type things and and going over just the physicality of it and how are we going to do this? As you know, if you saw it. You know the walls are sliding, and 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 how are we going to pull all this off? And so each we kind of break down each shot, and and discuss. It's kind of a collaboration between the art department and the camera grip electric department on, on how we're going to physically pull this off. And and then we also get into more of the aesthetics of it. You know, with with uh, not only just physically how we're going to do it, but what's it going to look like and what's the best way to achieve that, what Wes is going for in his vision. So there's a lot of uh, nuts and bolts type things that have to happen first. And and then we get into the, more of the finer points as as we progress through the nuts and bolts and how we're going to do this. Yeah. You know, with every Wes movie, there's a lot of testing that goes on beforehand. And... Uh, uh, you know, we always try to test anything out that we at all have any doubt about. We test it beforehand and work out all the the 
the kinks before the actors show up so that when the actors are there, we don't have to try to figure things out on the fly. So, yeah, I, I read that you shot this on 16 millimeter. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. And wh what what led you to 16 millimeter? Why was that the choice? Uh, I'm curious what what cameras and, and lenses you chose. For yeah, uh, well, we always shoot film. Wes is a film film person and uh you know I, I think not only does he prefer the look of film but just the process of shooting film is different than the process of shooting digitally and uh you know we had shot 16 on moonrise kingdom and 16 has a particular quality to it that is different than 35 millimeter or digital cameras and, and uh i think because this is kind of a, a throwback to another period uh, Wes felt that that look would be very appropriate to uh, to this this film, and uh, I personally love sixty millimeters. So when he said he was thinking about it, I was thrilled. Um, and we use uh, Arri cameras, uh, the four sixteen and Zeiss lenses. Uh, I like when we shoot sixteen. I like to get the sharpest image I can, and the Zeiss lenses are very sharp and they're very good. And uh, uh, Though we did uh, on Poison, we had uh, uh, anamorphic lenses, and those were uh, they're Hawk lenses, and those were the sixteen lenses we got and uh, anamorphics. But the rest of it was shot with the Zeiss lenses. Uh, but yeah, the Hawks, and they're one of the few companies that makes sixty millimeter anamorphic lenses. And uh, it was quite a struggle for us to get them because everybody wants them, you know. But uh, somehow. We were able to land them, and uh, we were very excited, both of us and I, to shoot 16 millimeter anamorphic <laughs> for poison. You know, not uh, Henry Sugar, but for poison. So, yeah. well, like you, like you said, the the staging of these shorts, especially Henry Sugar, are, are is so complex. The moving pieces uh, tied to the camera moves. Did you need more camera rehearsals than than you typically do to get these moves right, or was this kind of par for the course? Well, because the set, basically we were shooting in Maidstone, which is uh, in the in England. It, it's about an hour outside of London, and uh, it was an old television studio that had two, say, medium sized stages, and so. While we were shooting on one stage, the art department was building the other sets on the other stage. And so a lot of it kind of uh, required putting track down for the camera and then also tracks for this moving sets. So the track for the camera would have to go underneath the tracks for the sets, you know. You know, so a lot of that had to be worked out before we even got there. And, and so oftentimes... After work, say we're on stage one, we're shooting all day. We go to stage two and we kind of spend a half hour, hour there kind of working things out so that uh, it can be prepared. So when the actors show up, like I said earlier, there's no guesswork. It's all a lot of it is just done. In, you know, and, and it was a beautiful system. But having the two stages literally, you know, two minutes walked from one to the next. So. Uh, we could, you know, and Wes could look at the art direction and, you know, set design and make his comments and uh, they would have time to make those changes while we were shooting on the other set. So it was, it was a really kind of uh, efficient way of working. And, 
you know, allowed us plenty of time. And it's in all of us as movies, uh, you know, when we construct things on set, uh, you know, after work, we always go over there and look at them and, and discuss things. And, uh, and Adam Stockhausen, and our production designer, always comes and, and, you know, it's always a, kind of the three of us kind of huddle and talk about how we're going to do it and, and um, what I might need from Adam or what Adam might need from me and, and uh, you know, to pull off the shots because we do, you know, again, we have that animatic, which, which is kind of our, our guide, which we kind of pretty much all of us's movies now stick pretty to that animatic. So, uh, yeah, the, I was really curious about the relationship between you and Adam because of how intertwined the, the, the production design is to the shots on this film, especially I think of when the Yogi or, or Henry Sugar are supposed to be levitating and they're sitting on, sitting on the box, you know, painted to match the yeah. background. Yeah. How, how, how did those, was it a chicken and egg situation of who did you place your shot first or did they design it in such a way? Uh, they designed it and, and then we had to kind of line it up, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and, and find the, you know, exact angle. I mean, obviously, you know, typically Wes in those situations likes the actor to be centered. And, and, uh, so we would go beforehand and, and look at kind of where it would be. So they, the art department could paint it specifically. So it blended into the background. So the, those are situations that we would definitely go beforehand and mark where the camera was. And we'd even take the camera with us and uh, and take a picture off the video assist. You know, it's film, but we have a little video assist monitor. And then Adam would know exactly where it was going to be placed. And then he and his artists could, uh, you know, uh, just put it there and just really blend it in and, then sometimes it required a little finessing with the lighting to try to make it blend in a little easier, but you know, it, it's, and uh, you know, they would sometimes, you know, the shadows and things like that, that we had to kind of work out, but that was kind of, that wasn't super difficult, but it was more just where's it going to be and how's it going to be painted. So it blends in perfectly. So we have to really, I mean, the height of the camera, you know, that, that has a lot to do with it and, and left, right, up, down, and uh, so we really have to plan that very specifically. And and so in all those cases, that's we would go beforehand and with the camera, set it up. This is what we're going to do. And then Adam would use that as a template for, for creating that space. Well, those moments are so cool. And the way the way your shots move in and out of the production design is is just really fascinating. Um, yeah, the, the color of of the film is uh, is obviously very specific as well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on on how you approached the color of Henry Sugar. There's the the deep warmth of the Roald Dahl sequences, you know, the, the kind of cooler tones of the Ben Kingsley story and and shifting color tones for the Benedict Cumberbatch sequences. Yeah. yeah how did you approach the color of Henry Sugar? Well, I mean, that was something that the three of us kind of batted around a little bit in prep. And and I know the Roald Dahl uh, office where uh, Ray, Ray Fines was was uh, very carefully ca uh, copied of, of his actual office. So that kind of determined the colors in there, I think. You know, they were, Wes has been to that office and uh, uh, we've seen a million pictures of it. And they even uh, went and got, 
some of the actual props that was that were there, you know, I mean, they they really tried to replicate it as as realistically as possible. You know, when we got into the the casino part. We wanted to leave the exterior to have a very different feeling than the interior. And uh, so Wes really pushed me like uh, when, when Benedict Cumberbatch comes into the main lobby there to leave it really kind of a cold feeling to it. And then when we go into the casino and the and the the walls, you know, uh, part, so we can kind of pass into that. He wanted to have a very warm kind of, you know, feelings just to counteract, you know, be a, a, a different than what, what that lobby was. So we really, uh, you know, pushed the color on that much more than I ordinarily would. But it's it's you know it's kind of a fantasy, and and I think he wanted, I think as Wes has progressed as a director and have done these uh, uh, animated films, it's really affected how he's doing his live action films now. And, and in some sense, these are, even though it's live action, they're kind of animated at the same time, you know, I mean, uh, and, and, and he always prefers to do it kind of more of a homemade way than as, you know, something very slick CG, you know, he he wants to see the nuts and bolts of it all, <laughs> you know, and give it that kind of texture, I think, to the overall image. So yeah. that was something that we played around with, too. Yeah, that specific shot that you're referencing in the casino, the color shifts mid shot from from the warm to the to the cooler tones. What was that to heighten that that kind of handmade or or stage sort of image? Yeah. Or what was the thinking behind that? I think it was to heighten that and also again because it's kind of a cartoon, you know, uh he wanted to really uh you know, take it to that level. So it wasn't realistic. It was more uh you know, fantastic in, in how we did it. And, uh, you know, I think that that was kind of our, our guiding light through all these things, you know, to take it off, you know, just take, it wasn't real. It was, you know, a, a hyper reality or whatever, however you want to say it. And, and so we would always kind of push things a little bit uh, from a color standpoint and sometimes in a lighting standpoint and, with the camera, I mean, you know, every one of those sets were were just so constructed very carefully to reflect the animatic. Yeah, like you said, it's it's this hyper reality, uh, you know, filmed as if it's almost a stage production. There's one specific shot I, I'd I'd love to ask about sure. because most of the the film is presented front facing, you know, as if it's as if we're the audience looking at a stage production. Um, there's only a few other shots that have different angles in the casino. You're, you're shooting down uh, world doll. You shoot from two angles. But I noticed that there was unless I missed something else. I only noticed one single reverse shot flipping the audience's perspective. That was when in the hospital with Dev Patel and Ben Kingsley, uh, it's almost entirely that that front facing shot. And then you turn the camera around for just one split, almost a split second. I was curious if you remembered that specific shot uh, or the, the decision to, to turn the camera around just that one time. Is it was it in the the the, the little the waiting room kind of thing? It was room. in the it was in 
Yeah, the waiting room when where Bing, Ben Kingsley first enters the hospital and is yeah. is kind of showing that he can see without his eyes, and yes. Dev Patel is sort of realizing that he's telling the truth. It's it's that yes. sort of moment. Yeah, um, you know, I know. Yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, I, I know that they did a lot of things where they would turn to camera. Yeah, you know? and and uh, and you know, it was very unusual. Uh, and, and address the camera to say the lines. And it was a very kind of unusual idea that I've never really seen before. And I think what Wes was going for, and he, you know, I talked to him about this a little bit, that when he first started adapting this whole story, because uh, uh, he was a Roald Dahl fanatic as a kid, you know, it was like he didn't, he decided he didn't want to change the words, you know, because the words were so important. And to him, writing is, is such a, a sacred, you know, part of filmmaking. And, and uh, so he came up with the idea that the actors would just say the words, you know, and, and let the words express it. And, and so maybe that was the idea there was just, uh, you know, again, I don't know, you know why we turned the camera around, but uh, it was a very kind of unique and bold decision to make. And, and I, you know, honesty, when I first heard that that was what he wanted to do, I was a little skeptical of it. And, and uh, I, I was going, OK, uh, I mean, Wes has presented crazy ideas to me in the past before. At first, I would be skeptical. And then when I would actually see it, I would say, oh, OK, yeah, that makes you know, I love it, you know, and so. There was a lot of that for me, you know, at first. And, and uh, we did Henry Sugar, the first the first thing is what we shot of all the stories. And, you know, so right away, we jumped right into it. And 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 at first, I, you know, I was like, oh, oh is this going to work? Or, you know, but then when I saw the actors actually doing it with their expressions and their intonations, and obviously we had this amazing cast, um, you know, it, it, it kind of gave it some life that, you know, I didn't anticipate. And, uh, and I saw right away, oh, this is going to be very cool, <laughs> you know? And so uh, I, I got on board on it with it really quickly. But as I said, this isn't the first time Wes has come up with some crazy idea that I first thought, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I don't know about that. But, uh, but then when, you know, that's why he's Wes Anderson, you know, so. Totally. Yeah, I, I was curious what, what sorts of visual references y you guys shared to to sort of develop the the look of the piece was there was there any inspiration you had well he had you know pictures of the jungles and and you know things like that uh you know the, the whole sequence when uh sir ben goes through the jungle and, and he always has visual references and then you know uh and colors i mean he and adam work a lot of that out and uh and you know costumes i mean he's very specific about pretty much everything i mean every prop every you know anything that comes on camera is going to pass his scrutiny so uh you know it, it, a lot of it comes out of his head and um but it wasn't like when we did asteroid city there were a lot of movies that we watched uh, bad day of black rock ace in the hole uh paris texas you know that were we referenced those types of movies but we really didn't have that on this one and um because we kind of jumped right into it. Because after Asteroid City, literally, I came home for like a month, and then I went straight to England, you know. And and he he had kind of 
this is the thing that had been percolating in his brain for quite some time, I think. And, and he was wanting to just jump right into it. And uh, so that's kind of how we did it. You know, I mean, it wasn't like we spent a lot of time watching movies together and talking about it. You know, it was, they start building the sets and Adam would have, uh, you know, he'd make pictures of what he was thinking and Wes would make adjustments to it. And I would throw my two cents in and, uh, you know, uh, that was kind of the process, you know, and, and it was full speed ahead. <laughs> Definitely full speed ahead, you know. Yeah, I was curious if the if the process of filming filming f- these four shorts felt very different from filming a feature with Wes. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Yeah, it was very different because each one was unique. And uh, it was kind of, the schedule was different because... Oftentimes, because these build the bills of the sets were so intricate, uh, we would do one and then we might have some time off. And so uh, I would come back here to L.A. and for like uh, 10 days while they were building the set and everyone would leave, you know, except for the art department who was building the set. And then I would go back to England and then we would take you know, uh, depending on how much time we need it, we might need two or three days or, you know, typically three days to go in and, and then we could do our, lay our tracks and uh, uh, light it and get it all ready from our end. First, they have to build the sets and then we come in and, and put our touches into it. And so it was a very unique way of working and each one was different. And uh uh yeah i mean it was uh uh so you got it was kind of fun because it was winter in england and so i could be there for two or two weeks or whatever come home for a couple weeks and go back to england and i was flying back and forth quite a bit <laughs> but uh which is not something i've never done before but it kind of gave you a break and a chance to kind of refresh your brain and then think about the next one you know and and uh which is unusual because typically on a movie once you start it you know it's a you know you go straight for months you know but this way we get little breaks between and it was nice for me to be able to come home yeah well the the films turned out so well and your work is always so incredible so uh again robert i appreciate your time thanks for thanks for chatting with me today thank you very much that was a pleasure this is a terrific piece of information this could change my life an extraordinary thing happened. All at once, he sees through his own skin. Like an x-ray, only better, he sees everything. Henry was now almost certainly capable of making money faster than any other person in the entire world. Interesting. His name was Henry Sugar. I think people ought to know a bit about what he has done for the world. Well, Kasha, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I love Henry Sugar, and I'm so excited to hear more about your your work on the film. Appreciate your time. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, Henry Sugar was a really a beautiful exploration 
uh, with Wes. I mean, the story is so charming and so interesting. And we dove very quickly early on in just when we found out that we're going to be uh, working on this project uh, into intense research because we always start with photographic research. And we shared that research, sent it back and forth to each other and, and responded. That's how usually uh, my process with Wes looks like. We uh, share a lot of visuals with each other and, and respond to it. And that's how this process started. And that's how the building of the character starts. So after we have the, and Wes, as, as we all know, he's a master of visual language. And very often in his scripts, it, there's already so much information about the visual direction. So it's about carving out the details and 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 finding out the precision of that language. And uh, Wes, the, the last time I worked with him was years ago on Moonrise Kingdom. And in the meantime, we both became, I think, so much more experienced in our crafts. And uh, so it was really fun to meet again. And well, the communication was that much faster and that much more exciting and immediate. And that's the that's the fun part of working with Wes. It's, it's working in a room of masters and you have to really, you really have to be ready to speak that language. And it's mm. really interesting and fun. And obviously Wes Anderson is known for this heightened reality how do you get started i'm curious to hear more about your research uh and the 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 pieces that you used as references for henry sugar i think that we uh the heightened realities it's my job and all the creatives to understand wes's vocabulary that comes with wes's territory that heightened reality i think that if Sometimes we try to put this verbal language with something that is very non-verbal. It's Wes's world. And, and after you study, after you are familiar with it, it is very clear of what that world is. To me, visually, it's very clear. And uh, it is, um, you take photographs and film references and book references and descriptions and sort of molded to his world, to this heightened reality, to this, his color palette. It's the communication that happens between Wes and the production designer and the director of photography. And we all know which territories we're exploring with Wes. It's uh, people ask me, was it 50s? Was it 60s? Was it? And I was like, it was Wes's world. It's that's there, there's references that we all understand, but in his world, those references are taken from multiple different sources. That's the fun. And I'm not going to reveal all the sources where we take the inspiration from. That's the secret you know, of communications. But we transform it to this timeless language because in the end, it's a very timeless story and a timeless language. And I think you cannot pinpoint completely. There's aesthetic. There's probably more driven by 60s aesthetic, late 50s, early 60s aesthetic. But it's not a direct quote by no means. It it transforms to a language that that reflects the story. So it's Wes's language, very much informed by the story that he's telling. So each time it's a completely different vocabulary. And it's time, it's very different dimension. But... Each time it's extraordinarily specific and very detailed and extremely precisely executed. And sometimes Wes has a full-blown visual reference already ready. And then he does those animatics where he portrays a lot of the sketched out processes and 
and we uh the creatives we respond to uh his very precise direction it's so interesting for me to experience this process because at the same time as i was working on on uh, on uh, west's film on the story of henry sugar i was working also on pale blue eye which was a an amazing film set in 1865 and then went on to gilded age which is completely each one of them had completely different vocabulary and, and completely different scale so and it's so it's a different prism and a different perspective how you create those characters and it's a different attention to what ends up on the camera in what dimension but i think that's the privilege of making movies that's the beauty of making movies that we get to travel between so many different worlds and experience that intimately the details of each of those characters and each story mm. and then of course there's the incredible actors who join the company and the collaboration when when it gets expanded to the collaboration with the actors it becomes a whole other dimension of finding the characters and and the precision but at the same time Wes is so extraordinary specific in his direction that we all know we all know where we're going we all know which is we all know the direction where we're going mm. yeah and and you can feel that when you watch the film i, I want to hear about some of the specific pieces i mean I, it's not often that uh right in the dialogue of the film from the very beginning the movie tells you something about the character's clothes but it does here in henry sugar uh doll describes henry sugar right from the beginning as paying a great deal of attention to his clothes, going to an expensive tailor, uh, so on. Uh, how did you, uh, you know, find that style for Henry Sugar? And and were they original pieces that you created? Were you or, or were you finding pieces that fit this look? Uh, majority of the pieces were custom made, bespoke pieces that we made for Henry Sugar, which we worked with a tailor from Saville Row. Uh, Chris Kerr, who is uh, an incredibly skilled um, tailor, British tailor. And yes, it was all custom made. Majority of the pieces were custom made. There were a few knits that were purchased, but they were all, they all came from very specific, very specific British, from, from very specific British shops. Mm. That's what gives this character this very specific bespoke look. And that's from that's the stage from research references, creating character, uh, choosing the fabrics, and then tailoring. And tailoring it's 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 a world of dialogue with a tailor and several fittings and finding the perfect shape from the original idea to how things fit on the body. That's the magic of bespoke tailoring when when things are shaped and molded, sculpted on the body. Mm-hmm. And extremely skillful tailors, they do know how to read every curve of the body. And that's the difference between bespoke tailoring versus tailoring of the rug. We all have our bodies have different shapes. Our shoulders are different, bellies are different, the backs are different. So of the rug suit, if some people are model ready sizes that, that they get lucky and those fit, those suits might fit with alterations. But the bespoke tailoring gives the opportunity of this perfect tailoring for specific body. And that's what we knew. That's in a way, it's a very quiet language because theoretically you wouldn't even know that that's what demands this perfection of tailoring because the suits is supposed to look like it fits. And that's 
that quiet elegance, that's what the British quiet elegance is. They, those suits fit very well, fit the bodies. And I think that that's that inner elegance. And it's all about finding the proportion of the lapel, of the shoulder, of the length of the sleeves, of the length of the jacket, the width of the pants. Those are the details that go into an extremely well-studied tailoring. And um, it's always the biggest challenge of every film production is to bring that kind of reality to screen because traditionally those bespoke suits take months and we have to, uh, in film film timeline we have so much less time than the real world of bespoke tailoring so it is always a dialogue with a few tailors who are willing to work with film schedules another specific piece that i'd love to hear about is roald dahl's outfit as well you you have ray fines in in sort of these cozy writing clothes i'm curious if that was inspired by actual reference material from Dahl himself, or was it entirely just a a creation? It was absolutely inspired by Roald Dahl um, look that he, that was well photographed and very well researched by us and very much referenced in the style of the clothing that uh, Ray Fiennes is wearing. And it's definitely a reflection of it's not identical because it, it never works fully to do something identical. You have to find the, you have to be inspired by the real pieces, but allow yourself to create a new language of the film. And I think that's, there's a slight shift. Not all the pieces are identical from the pieces that Roald Dahl was wearing, but they are definitely deeply inspired by the reality of what Roald, Roald, Dahl, um, Roald Dahl was wearing. Yeah, there were a bunch of really amazing photographs of Roald Dahl that were the source of the inspiration. Mm, Amazing. And another big moment in the film is as Henry is is sort of crafting his plan to win at all these different casinos, he needs a lot of different costumes to to make that happen. You know, you have him in a dress and different things like that. Uh, tell, Tell me about designing some of these looks. And I'm curious if there were if there were other looks that you tried out for fun that didn't make the final cut. We had the most fun session with Benedict Cumberbatch. It was actually magical because that's who he is. He's magic man. I mean, it's like Wes gave us direction of what it needs to be. And then we went off with trying those looks. And it was just two days of just pure fun of creating those characters. And then we had way more options than what ended up on the screen for sure. And I have actually this amazing uh, run of, pictures that we took during uh, Benedict's experimentation with the characters when he was so quickly slipping between all the different personas and truly creating within the fitting room, creating characters that were unrecognizable from each other. So you couldn't tell that it was Benedict just changing. I mean, he's so talented and he's so committed and he's so fully immersed in discovering the personas. And it was, I think this was an opportunity for him to have just this instantaneous, quick fun. Amazing. Were were there any of those other looks that you really kind of wish had made the final cut? I think that there was quite a few, several looks, but there was, we already knew that we had more than, uh, more than enough for that sequence, but it, they were for sure fun, super fun experimentation, the tourist and the lady and and the priest, it was definitely fun. 
towards the end, when when Henry starts to, you know, he's throwing money in the street, he wears for the first time this bright orange outfit, uh, something completely different from what he's been wearing for the rest of the film. Uh, clearly, there was some specificity to that color. What can you tell us about this this shift that that his character t- undertook and how that played out with the costumes? I think that it's the, I mean, it's Wes's pulse of the film. That's what that color did. That became a shift in the pulse of the rhythm of the film. And sometimes costumes work, give that um, depth to the to the rhythm. And I think that's what it was about. Well, Kasha, you have worked in so many styles and periods across all of your projects. Uh, so many Gilded Age, like you said, so many others. Uh, is there a genre of film that you haven't gotten to work in that you would love to experiment with? Well, I think that for me, the the incredible privilege that I've had in my life, in my professional life, was to be part of amazing stories. And that's I when I started, I realized that if I love the story, if I'm engaged in the story, I can do a really good job. If and I never thought that it will add up to something, that approach, but it actually did. And and I think that 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 I hesitate, it's never been driven by a period of clothing because. It could be the most incredible period of clothing if the story is boring, nobody's going to watch it. And we know I'm going, not going to be engaged making it. But I'm always so curious. What is that next story that I'm going to be invited to be part of? What is that storytelling that uh, is going to engage me in for six to eight months of my life? That's the that's the part that's the beauty of the working on film we get to know stories so intimately we get to know the world so intimately that um it takes you for a journey that you just never expect that you know it's like and you never know what is what is behind the doors like every every new year's eve i'm like what is going to happen this year what is going to be the adventure of this year or at the end of the year because right now i know what i'm going to be doing for the next few months but that's always the mystery. That's always that that most exciting part about film magic. Absolutely. And we can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, <laughs> Kasia, again, thank you so much. I, I really loved your work in the film. So thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you so much. Very appreciated. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interviews with the cinematographer for the Oscar-nominated short film, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, Robert Yeaman, and the film's costume designer, Kasha Walika Mamon. The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar is now available to stream on Netflix and is up for your consideration for the Oscar for Best Live Action Short Film. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.